Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 149 with our guest, David Etheridge. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there. Thank you for joining us and tuning right into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. If you are an entrepreneur, own a business, or are in business of any kind, attracting new customers and clients is always top of mind. Especially in today's day and age, there are so many options and directions you could possibly take. And our guest today has the answer that can help you sleep better at night. Meet David Etheridge. David brings more than 18 years of product and business develop experience to his role as CEO of Savvy Card. We're here to learn all about that and to learn all about him. Help me welcome David Etheridge. What's doing, sir? Hey, Josh, thank you for having me on your show. And uh, that's quite a buildup. I hope I can live up to it. I think you already have, right? Isn't that the point? Um, So let's go into this because um, there is is so much here that we've already connected on. I want to um, move further down this path. One of the things I appreciate you saying is that the permission to, to be yourself as an entrepreneur, right? Even as a person, no matter what you're pursuing in life, but as an entrepreneur, how and why is that so important? Just coming to the table, who you know you are, who you know you can be, and doing the best work possible. Well, I think there's two reasons that it's important. The first one is entrepreneurs have have to have like sort of a clinically insane level of optimism. Right. I love it. Um, they have to be able to see a future that other people don't see. And, and they have to keep that future in front of them 24 7, 365, and believe in it. Right. You're literally willing something that doesn't exist into existence, right? Through your, your own personal energy. Okay. And, and if, if, if you, if you're not being honest with yourself, if you're not being true to yourself, you're going to falter in that. Right. But if you're being honest and being true to yourself and it's something you're passionate about, it's something that you have a very strong personal connection to, then that's going to give you the, uh, the fuel that you need to carry it through to hopefully a successful business, right? So the first, the first part is really practical. 
if 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 you if you aren't being true to yourself, then you're you're going to increase the likelihood that you're going to fail in your business enterprises, right? But the second one really just comes down to being true to yourself is a recipe for being happier, right? It's it's a recipe for being more fulfilled in in everything, every aspect of your life, right? And I think that people see that, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you're you're trying to convince people to invest in your company, convince people to join you as an employee, uh, you know, in your company, or convince people to buy your product, right? And I think we live in a world today where, you know, when when you're honest and transparent, uh, people recognize that and they gravitate towards that. It's a huge competitive advantage in making sure that you that you give yourself every opportunity to win in the market. It's so interesting because giving yourself that permission, I, like I said, I always resisted that. Um, I believed that that wouldn't get me where I need to be. So I reversed that process and said, well, I'm just going to come to the table and I'm going to try to make you like me and then everybody will win. You know, I'm doing what you want. I'm willing to do that for you. And then here we are. Let me succeed that path. That didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, my wife and I have a term for that, which we, we call it uh, being a lacquer man, right? You've got this shiny exterior, but it's only like you can take a you can take a paperclip and like scratch through the surface. And, and it's it's like it's like just, you know, skin deep. I'm getting and, the chills, uh, really, because that's well, yeah, yeah, it, it, look, and we, we, we all do it. I mean, from 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 school, like when we first go into school, um, we're afraid to be who we are because um, you know, the risk, right? The risk, the fear of being rejected. And it's easier to be rejected for a, a role that you're playing that's not really you, right? Than it is to be rejected for who you really are. So if you if you put on the suit, if you put on the mask and people reject you, that's not as painful as if you walk out there and say, this is who I am and, and people reject you. And the funny thing is, it's easier to reject people who have that mask on, but when people are really, when you come out and this is who I am, you're going to be rejected by people who you don't want to be involved with in the first place. The people yes. that are going to be your people are going to be the ones that are going to recognize you and accept you. And so by by not being transparent, by not coming out and being, you know, being yourself, you're actually preventing yourself from finding the people who are going to appreciate you for who you really are. It's, it's so, it's so true. And now being on the other side of that version of me and now hearing it, it seems so ludicrous, but when you are just living that it's just your norm, thank goodness. Now I'm able to see that it really does work that way. And there's so much irony wrapped up into that where I came to the table thinking that, no, if I were just to exercise myself and get myself out there and say what I want and ask for, God forbid, asking for what you want. Oh, no, no, that can't happen because right. you're, not, uh, you're not worth that. Nobody should you know, care what you want. Um, and I thought that if I were to do that, all these people would then retaliate against me. And you just pointed out that now that I come to the table as me, all I'm doing is attracting the people who love that and who say, you are quite the person. I want to be part of your world. I want to do what I can to be with you and support you and help you. And the other people aren't even around. They're not even in my awareness. So, so check this out, right? In business, I think we all understand that the best leads are pre-qualified leads, right? 
Okay. There so we what, we're, what we're really talking about is pre-qualified leads for the people that, that, that we want to have relationships with in our life, whether it's a, a spouse, a husband or a wife or business partners or, or customers even, right? Mm. It's like when you represent yourself honestly, right? Then you, then you automatically pre-qualify the people that you come across to be the right people for you to interact with, right? So I think we understand that in sales often before we understand it in, in our own lives. And it really is just that simple. We're going about our day, vertently or inadvertently, pre-qualifying people and saying, this is who I am, this is what I represent, this is what I do, this is what I offer. You like it, yes, you don't, know. That's right. I mean, we've all been on first dates where, you know, th there's, there's, the, there's the concept that on first dates, you have to behave differently than who you are or else they won't like you. Good point. Well, I mean, it's stupid, right? If they don't like you for who you are, you don't want to have a second date with them, <laughs> you know? And I think, I think a lot of this comes back down to loneliness, this, this, feeling oh. that, th this feeling that there aren't other people out there who are like me, okay? And, you know, we were talking before the, before the show. I grew up on a cotton farm in West Texas, and my nearest, nearest neighbor who was my age was like seven miles away. And, and so I, I, I grew up in this, this environment where it felt like it was a social desert, okay? And, and I, I think today kids are growing up in a world where they can get on the internet and they can connect with groups of peers who have exactly the same interests or exactly the same, you know, sort of, um, you know, thoughts and feelings and ideas. And so that's, that's going away. One of the greatest benefits of the internet in my mind and this connected world in my mind is the ability for people to find their people, um, which didn't exist when I was growing up or even, even maybe when you were growing up, right? Um, so I, I think that that's key because once you realize that there are other people out there like you, you know, whatever it is, if you're an entrepreneur or, 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 or an actor as, as, as we were, I grew up in a football town. Being an actor was not a, you know, was not a, was not a, it was a career limiting choice as my partner might, might, uh, you know, my, my business partner might say, but the point is that <laughs> you career limiting choice. Yeah. You, you eventually get out into the world and find, Hey, there's other people who feel exactly the same way that I do. And that, that helps you to be more, uh, confident in your choice to really just embrace, you know, the true you. We're going to go back in a moment to your upbringing. Cotton Farm, West Texas, and nearest neighbor was seven miles away. And the, uh, the um, feeling of loneliness, I told you, I, um, I lived that world for, for really decades, certainly as a child. And I know so many people even today, that's, that's still prevalent. Even if you're in a, in a marriage, in a relationship, in a business, in a social circle, I still think that there's a prevalent feeling of loneliness that, well, maybe I'm just speaking to, for, from myself. Sure, I'm, I'm overcoming a lot of that, but I still think on some levels, loneliness is something that we can get really drawn back into if we're not careful. So I want to touch upon that in a moment. But you've said a few times that we as entrepreneurs are clinically insane, and you almost made it sound like that's where you want to get to, where you need and should be. Did I pick up on that correctly? Yeah, well, I think, I think, it's, I think it's even stronger than that. I don't think that you can successfully be an entrepreneur unless you have that sort of, you know, um, 
you, you have to be in the top 1% in terms of optimism. You, you have to be, you have to be, um, uh, you have to be able to overcome any obstacle through your optimism for being able to create this vision that you have, right? And, and you need, it's, 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 it's this energy, it's battery, right? That you're going to draw from whenever things aren't going your way, right? Whenever you're struggling to find funding or you're struggling to get product fit with your customers or whatever it is, because you're going to have a never ending series of challenges that you're going to have to overcome. And you're not an entrepreneur if you're not doing something that is, that no one's ever done before. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 it so you're, you've, you've got to have the willpower to be able to overcome, you know, hundreds of challenges and always maintain this, this strong perception mm. and, and this, this sort of image, you know, this, this, um, this narrative with your, with all the people around you that you're going to succeed, right? That, that there is a success out on the horizon and, and this is because of the fact that we know that like 90% plus of all startups are ultimately going to fail without a successful exit. It's, it's a high fail rate. And uh, the people that invest in startups are attracted to those people. You know, they, there's a term in Silicon Valley where, where they, they, they call people like that cockroaches. They can't kill them. They can't kill their enthusiasm for their business. They can't kill their business. Um, if you give them money, they'll keep working until they succeed. And it used to be that everybody looked for unicorns, but now, now that we're focused much more on companies that are going to be profitable and sustainable, they're looking for entrepreneurs that will not get up, give up until they get, get to a success. And that, that last piece that you just said, the person who will not give up until they reach their, their level of success, that's, that's the clinical insanity part that you need, right? I know you said it's connected to right. uh, an unwavering optimism, which to expand on that for a moment means that any challenge or obstacle or thing that will come to you, I think if you're doing it right, if you're doing business and entrepreneurship right, there are going to be consistent levels, big, medium, small, uh, of challenges, of, of things that you have to overcome and it the 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 insanity part means that you need to be so optimistic and and see that for what it is um a little blip that you can figure out how to overcome and some might look at that as insanity but in many ways you are well i mean the the reason that i sort of characterize it as insane is it's 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 very very atypical mm. right it's not normal it's not so the vast majority of people, you know, can't start their own company and, and, and you know, realize success from it. They just can't do it. Um, if, if we're talking about something like buying a franchise where you basically got business in a box, okay, sure. It's, it's like put money in, follow the instructions. That's not entrepreneurship in my book. Entrepreneurship is, is, is an entrepreneur is somebody who is architecting the future. They're creating something that does not exist today. And that doesn't need, mean that it needs to be Uber, right? It could be a different way to, uh, you know, to deliver coffee, okay? A, a better coffee product, sustainable coffee or whatever it is. It can be, it can be local, it can be hyper-local or it can be, you know, global. It doesn't matter. But you're doing something new that no one else has done before. And you have to figure out all of the 
problems that come your way. Your first problem might be product market fit, right? You're going to come up with a product that solves a solution for a marketplace and then test it in a, in a, you know, in a local manner or in a small sample size. But if you're successful, now you're faced with a problem of scale, right? And if you're successful with the problem of scale, now you're going to be faced with the problem of competition. You know, Uber is a great example of this. Everybody would think that Uber is this extraordinarily wild success story or even Facebook, right? But you look at what Uber and Facebook are facing today. Uber has cities all over the world that are coming in and trying to put restrictions on them that could kill their business in those markets. And Facebook has, you know, Congress basically working to, to bust them up, right? So even though we would all look at that and say, this is a wild success, you know, Zuckerberg and the, and the folks that are running Uber today, they're still having to look what's next, what's five years down the road and be optimistic about their ability to overcome those challenges. So that optimism is your fuel. For the person watching, how, how, do, how do we become optimistic? Is it spending as much time as you can behind closed doors working on yourself and your relationship to, to the world, becoming a better person? Is that the starting point? I look, I think it's, I think it's nature more than nurture. I think what you're talking about is can it be taught or learned or what have you, but this goes back to, you know, what, what you're, what you're talking about on your, on your website, right? I, I think in order for you to have that level of optimism, you have to be true to who you are and what you want, right? I, I, I don't think you can go out and sort of train for that, okay? Um, you know, it, it, if, you're, if you're thinking about a future and you see a better way to do something and it excites you and, and you wake up every day for a month and it continues to excite you, right? then this is probably tied to something that's integral to who you are, right? Um, my, uh, my, my, uh, my stepfather uh, was a farmer most of his life, cotton farmer for most of his life, but he always had this passion for, you know, how we, we grew up in an area where there's tremendous amount of wind, right? It, it, the wind blows like 60, 70% of the time. And so he had this idea from when he was a little kid that this wind, which everybody hated, could actually be a resource. And um, when he was 66 years old, he built the largest wind farm in the world in this little community in West Texas. So he, he, he never would have been able to do that if it wasn't a passion of his that spoke to who he was as an individual. And when he showed up in New York at different bankers conferences, trying to convince them to build a wind farm in West Texas, wearing a cowboy hat and, and a plaid shirt and stuff, everybody thought he was a nut. But ultimately, the reason that people, you know, funded this multi-billion-dollar wind farm was because he was authentic. He was he was he was walking in and 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 pitching his vision as an entrepreneur from a place that was real and authentic, and 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 he was passionate about it. So I I think that's what I'm talking about. You, it's not that you're going to build that that optimism. You've got to find the things you're optimistic about, and then go out and and build a build a business around it. Let's talk about your upbringing, which you touched upon already. So you grew up in West Texas uh, on a cotton farm. Um, nearest, nearest neighbor, seven miles away, you already said yeah. there was a lot of loneliness. So how did you spend your days? How did you stay sane if you did? How did you stay anything? What did you do? What was going on? Well, the first, the first thing is... Um, 
you know, when you're on a working farm, you work on the farm, right? So, so I spent a lot of my days hoeing cotton or, you know, on a tractor or what have you, but I had absolutely zero connection to, you know, to agriculture. It, it was, it was torture, right? So a, a big part of it was, you know, figuring out ways to escape from, from, you know, that reality. So mm. a lot of reading, a lot of books, uh, big, big sports fan, baseball fan. So um, it's sort of funny, younger people won't even be able to understand this, but um, we grew up in an area where the local newspaper didn't have scores that they, they would report scores like for the last week. So if you wanted to know if your baseball team or football team won a game, you had to wait a week to find out. And some weeks they'd say, oh, we're going to replace the sports section with, you know, with, a, with something else. So um, so literally we, we weren't able to find out, I wasn't able to find out if the team that I followed, which was uh, the Baltimore Orioles, whether they had won their game for maybe two or three or four days. Okay. There was no <laughs> internet. Um, the nearest newspaper that was a daily from a big city that had box scores was like 80, 90 miles away. So it, it was really difficult to, um, you know, to find things that were not a part of this small town, uh, Americana agriculture, rodeo football kind of, you know, environment that I could get into. And ultimately it came down to books. Books was the primary, the primary way that I escaped from that. Did you keep yourself out of trouble or did you find trouble occasionally? Oh, well, I mean, you know, you're a kid, everybody finds trouble. I mean, we also lived in a dry County, so there was (laughs) no legal alcohol. And, uh, like one of the things I remember is, uh, you know, every, every weekend the kids would all find some, somebody who had just graduated or was, you know, just, just the, if they, if you had a driver's license and a truck and you were legal to buy alcohol, everybody wanted to be your friend. And, and, you know, we'd all pile into a truck and go someplace and they oh, buy, buy beer and we'd all hang out and party, you know, over the weekend. But, um, but I, look, you know, rural America is difficult, right? So, so you, you take breaks and go do fun stuff. You, you go steal, you know, steal the uh, statue in front of a rival football schools, you know, high school or whatever it is. You know, you do that kind of those kind of shenanigans, uh, cow tipping, any of any of the stuff that, that people hear about. But most of the time you're you know, you're just you're just out there working. You're you're helping your family survive. What did that looking back, did that did that shape you? Did that did you bring that into everything you're doing today? That yeah, upbringing? I think I think, I think so. Um, I, you know, Texas, Texas is a really, really interesting place because, you know, it's it's got a bad rap in a, in a lot of ways, but it's it's one of the most polite societies out there. If you, you know, if you if you if you are a person in need, if you if your car breaks down and you're in West Texas, then the whole community is going to show up to help you, to help you out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so on the one hand, there was this sort of attitude of uh, civility and, and treating people with respect. And uh, it's a mask, right? A lot of it was like, everybody needs to be polite and considerate and say, thank you and have good manners. But there's a positive side to that. My grandfather used to say to me, you can't do good business with bad people. And I think that that was an attitude, right? There was this social sort of contract in these small communities that if you did something wrong, if you defrauded someone or you treated people poorly in business, word would get out and you would be ostracized, right? Hmm. So, so that's that stuck with me. I, I did a TEDx talk on the trust economy. Uh, I don't know eight years ago, 
And a lot of it was really associated with my grandfather and what I learned from this small town community about how trust makes it easier to do business, right? Easier and better in every aspect to do business. And so I think that's probably the most important thing that stuck with me in my career. Growing up um, in this environment, what did you think about the world around you and what your future held? Did you see a brighter future and you doing bigger and better? Or did you say, I'm going to be the family in the farm and this is, this is what it's about? Now, I knew I had to get out of there. I, I, was, I was not going to put down roots and be, a, you know, and, and be in the agricultural industry. So as soon as I got the opportunity, I headed to Austin and, and, and went to school at the University of Texas. And I think we were talking earlier, I, I studied musical theater and liberal arts. And then right out of college, went to Hollywood and tried to make it as an actor. So, I mean, before you know, we get into that, I just want to know, how did you how did you go from what you just painted growing up on the farm to musical theater. How did that connect? Okay, so 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 the little school that I was in, um, all the guys played football. Okay, that was <laughs> that was the thing. You know, two a days, right? So you'd go practice in the morning, go to school, and practice in the evening. And what I realized was, you know, I was I was fifteen or whatever it is. What I realized were all the girls weren't on the football practice field. <laughs> the girls, the girls were in bands. The girls were in choir. The girls oh. were in theater. Okay. And, uh, and so, um, I was always pretty good with numbers. And so, you know, the numbers just made sense. Right? <laughs> you mean the proportions, and, right? The, the proportions. Well, and here's the other thing, like in my, in my class, there were, there were like nine kids and there were six guys and three girls. And so in my little worldview there, it was like, there's two guys for every girl. This, this, this math sucks, man. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta stack the deck. Right. And so, um, and so a lot of it started off with just, that was, first of all, that, that was one part of it. But the other part of it was for a very, very early on, I really enjoyed uh, performance, like standing up in front of an audience and speaking. Okay. And, uh, you know, there wasn't like public speaking clubs in this little high school. So the closest you got to it was singing on stage or playing a musical instrument on stage or acting on stage. And so I got into all three. That's fantastic. And then you said uh, through high school, you took that. And when you graduated, you you had an opportunity to, to move out west. Well, I mean, it was it was I mean, the opportunity was one of the after college, I did regional theater for a summer in North Carolina. Cool. And while I was there, I, I met a girl and she was going to Hollywood. And so I went to Hollywood, too. And once we got to Hollywood, um, you know, I, I thought that. Hey, you know, I, I actually won best actor in the state of Texas my senior year in high school. And so I, I went out there with this attitude. Well, OK, there's only 50 states and, you know, there probably were only 50 people who won guys who won best actor. So so maybe maybe I'm I'm up here. Right. Right. Then you get to Hollywood and you're like, there are 500,000 dudes who are taller, better looking uh, they can sing, they can dance, or triple threats, um, and they have connections. Exactly. And I don't have any of that stuff. Right. And so I spent two years working as an extra. It was a lot of fun. I worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I worked on a bunch of films um, that yeah, people would recognize. But I was always an extra in the background and stuff like that. And so pretty quickly, I realized if I wanted a career, um, I, I wasn't going to get it in 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 uh, in in film unless I was willing to commit you know, 10, 15 years to, you know, to, to working every day to build that career. And it, it's, it's tough, man. It's so, so hyper competitive. So I ended up going into software development instead. 
And that seems like a weird leap, but you got to understand right at that time was when the first videos were beginning to get, you know, incorporated in sound and videos were getting incorporated into computer games. And so my performance, you know, my, my desire for performance, I saw an opportunity in software to be sort of at the beginning of, of uh, video and audio being integrated into, you know, computer games. And uh, I had a great 15-year career from there in, in computer games before I started off as an entrepreneur. Out of curiosity, to close this segment, what happened to the relationship and the girl that took you out west? I, I don't. I don't. Th- I, I think that. I, I don't think it ever went anywhere. We we were. You know, we just went out there together, and then immediately upon getting to L.A., we went our different ways. So, oh, but, you yeah. know, it 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 was. Uh, I think it was the right move. It got me where I needed to be. Right. I don't regret it at all. But. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of funny um, going from West Texas on a farm to Hollywood in the span of like sixteen months or whatever it was wow. was was pretty big culture shock. Wow! And then the uh, software engineer, where did you physically locate? Yeah, so I was in Burbank, uh, California, with Disney Interactive for oh, wow. for the first year, and then I went to Hunt Valley, Maryland, and worked at a company called Microprose for about seven years as a, as a, a game designer and, and producer. And then I ended up with Hasbro Interactive in Boston, um, you know, doing business development, basically licensing uh, properties like NASCAR and Harry Potter and, and uh, um, uh, Pokemon and stuff like that for computer games for Hasbro. That's great credits, right? You feel that way. They, yeah, they were. I mean, they certainly create some credibility when you when you're able to put big companies like Disney and Hasbro on your resume. It's it's that's powerful. But the the big thing I learned in, at Disney and Hasbro is I was not cut out for the corporate world, right? For for basically being a cog in a machine. And and uh, you know you you get into these large corporations and you immediately see start seeing opportunities for things to be done better. And mm. no one's going to listen to you if you're low down on the totem pole. And so that's. That's where you begin to think about, hey, I'll start my own company, and that's that's really where the 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 idea for becoming an entrepreneur first came from. Because back then, we didn't have entrepreneurship, you know, in college. There weren't entrepreneurship programs like every school today has a program for students to learn how to become an entrepreneur. Back then, that didn't exist. I always feel like my 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 current path, my career today, which includes a lot of different aspects of the podcasting medium, I feel like I, you know, either by conscious or subconscious design, I'm able to really bring a lot of my acting and performance technique and training into right. this very thing. Are you finding that as well? That yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of a- application. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, what's what's the number one fear of adults in yeah. the United States is public speaking, right? right. Uh, more than taxes or whatever. And public speaking is essential for a lot of aspects of, you know, being the CEO of a startup. Okay, um, you know, you gotta you gotta get up and present to investors. You gotta get up and you know you gotta get up and present to uh, customers, right? So. They, you know, early on, you're going to be the salesperson, the business development person, the strategic, you know, uh, development person for your company. And you're going to be, you know, convincing a lot of people that they want to pay attention to you and that they want to get involved with what you're doing. So mm-hmm. I think the performance uh, background was essential to whatever success I've had in, in, in you know, as, in, in, as a startup founder. 
Isn't that something? So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about the the quality and aspect of trust. I know that you place a great deal of value, rightfully so, on this whole, you know, to making life work and business work. Set that up for us. What do we need to know about that? Well, look, I you know, we live we live, uh, our, our company is now based in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is, you know, not far down the road from Boca Raton, um, which has sort of a negative perspective of being like the business fraud capital of Florida or whatever. There's a lot of companies that do robo dialing and, mm. you know, spammy sort of advertising and stuff like that. And, you know, we've all seen the images of, you know, these used car salesmen who will say anything to, 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 to sell a car. And, not to disparage all used car salesmen, my father-in-law, you know, used to run a, a, a used car business. The bottom line is there's a lot of fear and mistrust in commerce today. Okay. Um, and, and, and justified. Okay. Because we're, we're constantly being barraged with people who are trying to steal our data, who are trying to, you know, cheat us, you know, cheat us, you know, some way. So, Trust is the fundamental aspect of overcoming most of the barriers in business. That's that's been my experience, right? Um, if you're trying to build a successful startup, it's easier to get capital from people that know you and trust you and understand who you are, and 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 than it is to go out and find some new person and to give them an executive summary and and try to and try to get them to write you a check when they don't know anything about it, right? And so a huge part of the success of any startup in my mind is, is going out and building the optics of trust, right? Getting to the point where when people search for your business by name, they see credible people out there on the web that are talking about your business and saying, this is a, this is a good person, this is a good company, their product is legitimate, because it's, it's always easier for people to leave bad reviews and say negative things about you. You're going to collect those. Uh, but you've, you've got to work to get people who are credible and who are respected to say things about you that are going to engender trust in your potential audience, right? So trust to me is the most important resource that you can develop. And it starts in school, right? All the people that you, you know, go through high school and college with, those people know you better than anybody in the world other than your family. And so I tell young entrepreneurs, you need to look around the room and identify the people that you think are the most dynamic and, and potentially successful people in the future and make sure that you build a trusted relationship with them now because you're gonna that's going to pay dividends down the road. And it really begins with what we've been talking about from the beginning, which is giving yourself permission to be yourself and show up as yourself, right? That's, that's step requirement number one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because you can't build trust if you're acting. Right. You, 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 you can't do it. Um, you, 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 eventually, people are going to see beneath the they're going to scratch that lacquer off and they're going to go. This is this shiny exterior is not real. And, and if they feel that the shiny exterior is not real for you, then how can they trust anything that you say about your business or your market or your product or anything? Right. And I, and I think one of the biggest elements of trust, and this is something I've had to learn, is owning mistakes. Right. Is is there's my board tells me this all the time. It's like, it's okay to bring us good news. It's okay to bring us bad news. Just don't surprise us. Right. 
And and bad news is expected. It's expected that you're going to miss milestones. It's expected that you're going to run up against things that don't work as planned. Don't hide them, right? Uh, be as transparent as you possibly can. So I often will start off conversations with investors by going straight to the negatives. Let me tell you all the things that aren't working right now, right? And, and by the time you're done with that, they're like, wow, okay, well, tell me about the positives, okay? So, so you're, you're, you're creating credibility with people when you're, when you're honest and transparent, not only about what your business is doing, but about yourself as well. I love how you put it into the perspective that if you're not honest with yourself, which is being truthful and coming to the table as you and giving yourself permission to be who you are, which spent a lifetime fearing all that. And I know so many people who do that, but just being confident with yourself, who you are, what you have to offer and getting it out there and removing it's yes, it's easier said than done, but it, it it has to be done, removing any level of fear, which just muddles everything up. It's just so paramount. Well, and if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, one of the things you need to understand is what your weaknesses are, right? You need to know what you can't do well. And and you need to ask other people, your investors, your your co-founders or whatever, to help you mitigate those, you know, those deficiencies. Okay. Nobody expects you to be you know, um, you know, to be, to be able to do everything. Okay. And do everything well. You, if you understand what you do well and you focus your energy there and then you hire or you, you find co-founders who, who sort of, um, fill in the gaps who, who are able to offset or balance against the things you don't do well, then you're more likely to succeed. Okay. And I, I think one of the big challenges that a lot of young entrepreneurs have is they're afraid that if they show any weakness at all, mm. that people are going to reject them in their business concept. And, you know, you know, logically, if you're an investor or a customer who wants to do business with someone, you're probably going to be able to identify what the weaknesses are in a business or the weaknesses are in the CEO. And if the, if the CEO is trying to hide that or is, is avoiding talking about it, then it, it, it creates mistrust, right? And so, uh, you know, vulnerability, um, being able to walk in and say, I've got this great idea. Here's how it's going to work. I've got these two problems I haven't figured out yet, and I'm looking for help to do it. And it could be help in the form of capital or mentorship or whatever. That's going to create trust, but it's also going to get you the resources that you need faster and, and, and so that you're more likely to succeed. Hmm. Wow. Uh, bring us to Savvy Card. How did all this come about? Well, it's sort of funny going back to when I was in high school and I used to collect like baseball cards, right? I, I always love baseball cards because on one side you have these graphics, these pictures that that are you know awesome to look at. And on the other side, you have statistics, right? And so it was sort of this marrying of form and functionality that I really, really liked. But the other thing about it is it was portable, right? You could you could collect them, you could put them in, you know, put them in your pocket, carry them with you, trade them with other people. So that paradigm, that that idea of having something that, you know, married sort of uh, visual interest with actionable data that was portable has always been sort of interesting to me. And um, when I was at Hasbro, I, I got the opportunity for the first time to see a prototype of what would ultimately become the smartphones that we all have in our pockets, right? Mm. So a touchscreen mobile device. I was in California 
and uh, got an opportunity to see a, a, basically a mock-up of what one, what one of these things would look like. And the first thing that struck me was, you know, we're going to be carrying around a computer in our pocket and there's going to need to be a different way to deliver content to these devices. Websites are not going to work as well as some new paradigm that would be designed specifically for mobile devices, right? And so I didn't even have a name for it, but my concept was always a card-based concept, right? Instead of a website, you're going to create these objects that would represent products or services or people or businesses, and you'd interact with those objects and be able to collect them and be able to share them, and and that this this would potentially be the you know the next uh, thing after websites, right? And so um, in 2010, you know, uh, 2011, I got together after the iPhone came out, and we sort of saw that everything was going to change in terms of how people consume content through mobile devices. I got together with uh, you know three co-founders, and we sat down and, and we decided to start a company to build this new content paradigm, like delivering content through you know what we call web cards, and and that's how Savvy Card was created. And at its core, it's an app that resides on your phone. It's sort of funny. Um, it's an app that lives in the cloud, right? So all the apps that we download from the app store, yeah. there's problems with with that. Like if you're a business. You, you have to build a website and then you have to build an iPhone app and then you got to build an Android app and you got to maintain all of those different tools. Mm-hmm. And it, as a business user, I don't want to do that, right? I want to, I want to build one asset that works on any device, any operating system, system, any browser. It's more efficient. I can spend less time managing content and it costs less, right? And so there's a type of application called a progressive web app. And, and it basically is an app that you get through the web browser. So I don't know if you go to ESPN and look at sports scores, but if you if you're if you're ever going there and looking at like college football or you know pro basketball scores and you're watching a game playing, they've loaded an app in the browser and you didn't even know it. Okay, mm. so this is a new technology that everybody in business really should take a look at because it's cheaper than building an app and and it's it's got all these advantages over over Android and Apple applications. But that's what a savvy card is. It's an app that we can we can send through your web browser. You can save it on your phone like you would in, in, in any other application. But because I can send it through your web browser or through text messaging or email, you don't have to ask the customer to go download it from the app store first. You can just share it. With them. So I'm an entrepreneur. How do I use Savvy Card? So so let's let's say that. Um, I mean, we've all been in a situation where, you know, we're talking to an investor or talking to a customer, right? And we'd really like to follow up with that customer and try to close close Certainly. a deal. Right? right, yeah. So so what do we do today? We hand them a business card and then we go home and sit by the phone and hope they call, right? So uh, it, think about how difficult, let's, let's say you're sitting across, you're at a networking event and you meet the CEO of a big company and you'd like to build a relationship with them. Okay, you're not going to pester him to send his mobile number over like, yeah, send me all your details so that I can follow up with you. Right. You're going to he's going to say, give me a business card and I'll call you. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've just given control over the opportunity to that person. Okay, And no salesperson ever in the history of sales thought it was a good idea to give away control of a prospect to the prospect. Okay, so this is we, we have a trademarked. Um, methodology that we call share and text. And we teach it to all of our customers 
And it's really simple. It's like, instead of handing out a business card, when you meet somebody, you want to use 13 magic words, which are, can I text you my business card and follow up with you later? And if they say yes, which most of them do, they're going to give you their mobile number and they will have also given you permission to follow up with them by text message, which means you're now having a text conversation with this person, right? So you've gained control. I have their contact information and I've been given permission to follow up with them. And the reason they're giving me permission is because I'm going to text them my savvy card and my savvy card is going to download my contact information into their phone. Okay. So it's an app that represents me that I can share with them by text that will get me into their address book. Does that make sense? My goodness, it does. Wow. I mean, it's just so it's just so eye-opening what you just said and how that flawless process just took place because you painted the picture like the the old way of um, can I have your details? Can you email? Can you can I have them? And then it puts it in their court. But you saying, can I have your 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 number so I can text you my my contact details? You're getting their number. You have the permission. But then it's also what you're texting them is your contact details is is the savvy card. Yeah. So my savvy card, for example, I'll probably take this podcast and link it to my savvy card, right? And so if somebody wants to learn about me, there's a button on my savvy card where they can open it up and see podcasts or videos or my TED talk or any of that kind of stuff, right? And so now instead of handing them a business card and they put it in their pocket, yeah. and if they remember to follow up with it later at all, which they're going to have to dig through all the cards that they collected at the networking event to do it, right? Then they're going to have to find my Facebook page or my LinkedIn account or my website and, and go there. It's, it's a, it's a, difficult process to get them to follow through on. But when I share my savvy card to them, it opened, they open a link, they're on my card, they can see my name, my face, my, my company logo, they can hit a button, they can watch my TED talk, they can watch my, you know, they can, they can connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, yeah. all of that they can do in real time. But on my side, I've collected their information and I'm now following up five minutes later. It was really nice meeting you. I'd love to schedule a follow-up meeting or whatever my script is for getting them to the next, you know, part of, you know, stage in the process. And when I'm in the conversation with them, I have the opportunity to say, check out my TED talk on my savvy phone because they've got it right. Or check out, you know, check out, I'm going to be at an event or holding an event in a month, check out information on the event on my savvy phone. Right. So you can link anything that you want to share yes. with people through yes. your card so that it becomes an actionable sort of prospecting tool in real time when you meet with them. So the savvy card is is offered via a link in their text message. Is that how yeah. they that's how they get to it? And then that's yeah, the cloud thing. And that's the one the thing in their on their phone that has the little series of buttons of that they can yeah. click on based on what I I want them to have my Facebook page, my podcast, my Instagram, yeah. my yeah. Yeah. My so, latest so video. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to make this actionable here. Um, one of the benefits of these, these savvy card applications is they get indexed in search engines, which oh. Apple apps and Android apps don't. Oh, wow. So if, if for example, anybody on your podcast would like to learn more about savvy card, Google my name, David Etheridge, which is E T H E R E D G E all E's. And my savvy card comes up either number one or number two on Google. So then you can click through and 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 watch my you know watch the videos and stuff on my card. But more importantly, if you're interested in learning more about our product, you can call me, right? 
So imagine if you're a company with a sales force of, you know, an insurance company with sales reps in the marketplace, right? Today, you probably have a website for your company and anybody that's interested has to come to you and then you got to connect them with a sales rep. But with Savvy Card, you could give a Savvy Card to all of your hundred or thousand sales reps and they're all out there using it as a prospecting tool to create engagement, right? So it's, it's, it's flipping the paradigm up, upside down, right? Hmm. You know, create a tool that's personalized for everybody in your business that's out engaging customers that they can use to develop relationships that then brings those customers back to the nest for your company. And because I, in this example, because I already got the, the permission from that person who I texted my, my follow-up and my savvy card, now anytime there's something new, we're already in a conversation via text. So I can say, hey, I just uploaded a really cool video that might make sense for you. Check it out. Here's, here's the link again to my savvy card. And uh, they do and they see it and they push it and then they're back into the fold. Yeah. And you can tie this into automated follow-up systems. Like we offer a inside sales agent program, which is automated text follow-up, right? For We've got about 170,000 realtors on our platform. Our primary, primary marketplace yeah. is real estate. Yeah. And so the realtors are always looking for ways to generate leads. And so we, we teach them how to use their savvy card on social media and in other mechanisms to advertise themselves and their listings to, to generate leads. But when they get a lead, how do you follow up, right? So we, we've actually got a, a, an ISA program, an inside sales agent that will, will automatically send texts to this person, sort of re-engaging with them and, and, and trying to get them to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested in buying a home or selling a home and I'd like to schedule a meeting. So I think the big thing is once you've started a conversation with somebody by text and they've given you permission and they've gotten your card and your details have been downloaded into their address book so that when you follow up with them, they see your name and recognize you, right? Because if they don't recognize you, it's they're going to think it's a robo-dialer, right? And iOS now has this new feature where you can, you can basically have unknown phone numbers not ring, right? Not, not ring through. Oh, correct. So right, it, right. Yeah, iOS 13 has that feature. So what you want to do is share your card, capture their details, and get your information into their address book. And then you can follow up in any way that you want to with those people by text, right? Yeah. One of our uh, live listeners, uh, Eric Reed here is asking, uh, for clarity here, can you blast texts from a stored lead list? Because you said that it, it will automatically send out. So yeah, talk on that. Yeah. So, so there are tools. Savvy Card has it built tools for that. Like, like another question you might have asked is, can you distribute this to an email list, right? So there are tools like MailChimp and Constant Contact that already manage lists, and there are text tools that manage lists as well. Right. Um, what What the Savvy Card does is it provides the customer engagement component, right? So here's my digital business card with links to two or three tools that my customers find useful. That's that's Instead of a value proposition of here's an email or a text where I'm trying to sell you something, the whole idea with Savvy Card is to load up your card with information and tools that are relevant to your audience so that it becomes a resource that they want to save on their phone and keep around. And it gives you a reason to reach out to them with, you know, and, and share the card. Right. right. Uh, the question that I also have now in, in that regard is um, 
am I pre-populating one valuable text and I push a button or schedule it and it goes out to all of my people? Yeah, you would use a third-party service for that, yeah. right? So the Savvy Card is, you use Savvy Card for individual. Like, like I, I use it as a replacement for business cards, right? Understood. Um, when, I, when, I, when I'm out in a networking environment, I meet a customer, I'm going to use this and then use it to follow up. But the database, like the leads that we generate from that, I would then take those and put those into a, a yeah. third-party application like Constant Contact in order to do my drip marketing. Perfect. Wow. And um, I, I scoured the website before. I know it's robust and surprisingly affordable, which is amazing. It's a, uh, it's a great accessible price point. So uh, I, 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 I'm going to go give it a second look now, now that I have this knowledge and insight. And uh, I, um, I, I wholeheartedly support it and think that it's a phenomenal. You're finding success through it, I imagine. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a challenge, right? Because if you're not, if you're not, um, if you're not Google or Facebook with unlimited marketing budget, right? You got to figure out how to get the word out and everything else. And uh, but in real estate, where people are using it, they love the product. Like we have really, really high net promoter scores, um, you know, from from our active users. So, but you know, we're we're uh, we we just launched our business product, which is which is what non-realtors would want and. Uh, you know, this is the first year that we're going to be really pushing that and marketing it. And the people that have bought it and, and incorporated it into their business marketing processes are giving us really, you know, positive feedback so far. So yeah, I think it's working. That's really cool. So let's, uh, let's wind down that segment. Um, shifting gears for a minute. If, wow, there's, there's just so much here. Can you share a time with us where, cause you know, my whole, my whole story is uh, frozen in fear and I spent a whole lifetime using that as an excuse hiding behind it. Can you share us with us one story where in, in your life, in your journey that comes to mind, you were confronted with a boatload of fear and you knew you could have gone in one or two directions and you had to go straight through it to successfully get to the other side. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think, I think I, I think we face that daily. I mean, I mean, look, every morning that you get up, um, in a startup and, and let me define startup. When you get to the point where your company is successful, where, where the company doesn't need additional capital to scale and grow, and you figured out all of the, you know, all of the major components of your business, how, you know, what, what your product is how it provides value to your customers, how to get it to market, how to get people to use it. When you've solved all that stuff, I don't think you're a startup anymore, okay? I think you're a successfully operating business. And so the, the, the thing, the fear that I think that I face from the moment that we started this company until today is every day getting up and facing the possibility of failure, right? The possibility that, mm. that you've, you've put all this energy and all this effort into building a company and and that ultimately it's not going to scale. That you you're, you're not going to find a big market that's going to adopt it, or a competitor is going to come in with more money and they're going to take the market out from underneath you, or or that technology is going to change, right? That people are going to stop using phones and they're going to start using you know uh, wearable glasses and it's going to completely destroy your business, right? That fear, the daily sort of fear that that you've you've gone down the wrong path and it's it's 
that you, that you can't turn around, right? And I, I think this is another thing that I tell entrepreneurs, right? You have to embrace that. You have to embrace that fear because when you fail and you will fail, it, it, you'll fail daily in small ways and, and over your career, you'll fail in spectacular ways. When you fail, you have to see it as an opportunity to learn and to improve either yourself or your product or your company so that it, it can overcome the, those problems or issues in the future, right? We're literally in a, in a, in a lab environment as entrepreneurs. We're, we're, we're testing. And you talk to any scientist, and they do thousands of experiments that fail to get one that's right, okay? So you have to embrace failure. And, and I've, my sister-in-law is, is in the medical field, right? And their, her attitude is every time that they test uh, medical testing field, every time that you test something and it fails, you're one step closer to success, right? You've taken away one of the options. You're not going to do that again. So you, you're, you're a step closer to being successful. And as long as you have that attitude where you're just grinding away at the failures to get rid of them until you reveal that successful path, that golden path, then you will win. And, and that to me is, that's the most important thing I think I can teach or share with any entrepreneur. David, I feel like we could seriously go on for hours in this discussion. Uh, let's wrap it up. Um, how would you tie all this together for the person listening? What is the core message we're sharing here today? Well, I, I think, I think um, if, you, if you're, you know, I love your concept of hidden entrepreneur, right? If you believe that you want to create something, you want to create a business or a product or a nonprofit or something that doesn't exist today, right? Um, and you're passionate about it. You wake up every day thinking about this or thinking about how, what the world would look like once you've succeeded, right? How you would change the world once you succeed in your business concept. I would say that you, you have to do it. You have to follow through on that passion. You don't want to get, like you say in your website, uh, life is shorter than you think, right? It, so you you cannot uh, let fear dissuade you from pursuing that passion or that dream. And and in order to understand whether or not is whether or not something is a true calling for you, right? A a startup is a true opportunity for you. You have to be honest with yourself about who you are and what you love and what what is meaningful to you. Because if your personal life is not aligned with what you're doing as an entrepreneur, you will fail, right? So understand who you are before you take that step. But then one, once you take the step, you know, fear is, fear, failure is, is a, it's a, it's a tool, right? It's a, it's a, it's your friend. It's a part of the process of success and don't let fear get in the way. Uh, fear of failure get in the way of doing what you what you now know you are meant you are designed to do. Extraordinary button. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Frederick. Watching live right now writes: Failure gives us the ability to adapt and keep going. Like you said, awesome message, David. Really cool. This has been a um, really, really in intriguing and um, thought provoking and satisfying discussion. Thank you. 
Thank you, David, for joining us. How can people follow up and keep the conversation going with you? Well, two things. Uh, if you're interested in our product, just go to SavvyCard.com. It's S-A-V-V-Y-C-A-R-D.com. We have live customer support. So if you have questions, we're, we're, we're not like Facebook. You're going to get through to a live person who will be able to answer your questions. Um, but if, if you're interested, I'd love to hear from you personally. You can just go to Google, find, you know, search my name, David Etheridge, find my Savvy Card, which will be one of the first two results and and text me or email me and let me know what you thought about the podcast today and what you think about our product. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely perfect. Thank you again so much, David. Really, really cool stuff. And thank you everybody for tuning in, whether it is right here to the live broadcast or you're catching this in its native podcast form on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you consume I want to thank you. If you enjoyed it, give me a rate and review. I enjoy reading what you think of the show. And um, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to do it again before too long. As always, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.